313. Stepping in the line. The light of the world is Jesus. 213.
something, Lord, the things that will be done today, Lord, we pray that all will be done to bring honor and glory to your name. In His name I pray. Amen. May be seated. Uh, we pass out a song in the hymnal. Uh, back to back. Finish back day. Let's sing the song each step I take.
Thanks, Francis. Uh, let's do this right now. Let's stand up and shake hands. Uh, they're from the Marine base. Uh, his brother, uh, let's see, I forgot your name already. Uh, brother Huntley. Uh, Keithin. Keithin? Keithin. Keithin, yes. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Jim Hart, from North Carolina, so picked him up today and uh, gets to go home with uh, that renegade driver back there, the Filipino man. Let's stand and shake hands with him and tell him that we're glad that he is here. Just a minute at the church, I'll get a hold of that guy and we can talk to him about the car. All right. um, so we had a good trip and both churches that we in, my daughter's church and my mother-in-law's church are quite different. Let me just tell you about them because you're probably curious about what it's like to be in those churches. Three independent Baptist churches and both are very different. One's rural, one's in the city. One is, um, one uses a lot of videos. One uses a lot of videos, a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. You know? The other one, uh, traditional hymns that we have. A lot of singing, a lot of from the hymn book, and uh, very much a sedated church, a very quiet church, but um, very good church, and uh, both of them are very different. And so, uh, so I say that because uh, every time we go, I always feel like I'm glad to come back home to be in our church. But uh, at the same time, they're they're good churches, and uh, there's something that you always get from both of their services. Um, one is more um, the people in one church are very different from people up in Michigan and you folk different from both of them you're a combination of both of them actually more so than more like the one in Michigan the Michigan church is quiet to themselves um, you don't even know if you're in church sometimes uh, I say that not in a negative way but in a in a way of observation the one in Texas they're very outgoing they're very expressive they laugh a lot they almost laugh too much but it's not a criticism. It's not a criticism. Keep this in mind. The other church, you know, it's, uh, you know, so they're both good, but it's also good to be back in your own church. And so um, uh, folks over there, churches know us very well because we go every summer and, um, you know, we learn about their lives and they learn about us. They ask about you folk here. And of course, Emily remembers all of you and don't know. She likes to learn about you too. And her girls are growing up. Uh, I think Aston, the eldest, she, um, this this spring, she said, Grandpa, when you come, I'm going to race with you down at the park. Because last summer, two summers we raced, and she beat me a couple of times because she cheated. And uh, so she was looking forward to racing me again. And um, we never got to do that because she was not feeling well. And she's growing up, and she kind of lost the girlishness about her where she thinks it's not cool to run a grandpa anymore. <laughs> and so kind of different, you know. But the younger girl, the middle girl, Fiona, she's a trip, man. She's a trip. And uh, she is very expressive in her affections. And and then, uh, uh, what's the youngest girl's Evie. name? Evie. Evie. Evie, the baby. She's three years old. Evie is cute as can be, but it takes about two days for her to warm up to dear old grandma and grandpa. And she's like, and you do this, she, go, she can do it like that. And so, you know, and she
and you say, I, I, I thought, I didn't come for this. I came for the Huggies, but she didn't do that at first. But then after a while, she's real cute. But uh, Pete has lost weight. Uh, he's he's got rid of his beard and he grew it back again. And so uh, Emily's in real estate, as you may know. She got a license this spring. Um, she's very good at what she's doing. Uh, not many sales, but she's very good at what she's doing. <laughs> and so pray for them. Uh, Pete has a chance to help in a uh, gun range, which is his passion. And so the gun range that was built in town is two floors. It's huge. They built up. They're building out the upstairs for uh, um, urban conflict. So there's different rooms for different. For this is a bedroom. This is an office account situation. So he's going up there to teach situational defense uh, kind of thing. And so he's very excited about that. That's what he really wants to do full time. So far, not a full time position, but that's what it's leading to. We hope. And so um, right now, um, there's a gun range where people go and shoot, practice with targets and so on. He goes to help uh, guys who come in there to shoot veterans and also people who are just novices. So that's what he likes to play with guns. That is what he likes to do. Get on the Marine Corps for eight years. Guns is his thing, but I think it was his thing before he got into. So pray for both of them. And um, uh, we went on a couple of rides with Emily to do some showings. And uh, well, she goes all over the place. And it's a different situation in Hawaii. We heard of, um, let's see, uh, Kristen's younger sister is in real estate down in Florida, in Jacksonville. She had a showing or two, and then she made a sale. She closed on a house. It was a million dollar plus house. Two, two and a half, sorry, two and a half million dollar house. And so she got a good payday. There are no two million dollar houses in Beaumont that we know about that she has had showings. So if I'm like that, it would take her a lot of bills for a couple of years. And so, and then uh, we had some friends in uh, the Texas church that have had surgeries. And one is upcoming for surgery this week on Tuesday. So I appreciate your prayers for Debbie Huffman and uh, her husband had his toes amputated, Randy. And uh, so anyway, some of the things that we spent a lot of deer up in Michigan. Uh, sun goes down at 10 o'clock. It's kind of a strange feeling. My mother loves to play Scrabble, loves to watch Westerns. So we got the dose of both of those. And she loves to eat ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. I mean, Mackinac fudge ice cream, uh, all kinds of ice cream. She loves chocolate, right up my alley. Every time we go, she goes and buys new peanut butter, uh, peanut, chocolate covered peanuts, and whatever chocolate she can get, because she thinks I like chocolate. I don't know why she thought that. And so every night after dinner or something like that, we'd be sitting around and watching these westerns and then uh, eating ice cream and chocolate. And then uh, I would go for my walks every week, uh, every day just about, and uh, down by the lake, like, and um, you know, um, Canadian geese are pretty to look at from a distance, but they're nasty, dirty birds. They're filthy animals. They don't care where they drop. <laughs> I did not get targeted, but on the walkways, we walked down the park, very nice park. You got a side step that you go through a minefield. They're nasty birds. And uh, we saw some wild turkeys. I no longer want to eat turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> when you see a real turkey, you never want to eat turkey again. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, a lot of farm farm things going around and a lot of bales of hay, which is nice to see, and a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. So we really had a good time up there, and um, uh, we did see the Northern Lights, although it was kind of going on somewhere up there, but we never wanted to get up at one o'clock in the morning to see those things. My brother-in-law, Randall, uh, we got to see him more than four or five times this time, more than before. Randall, of course, is autistic. He is 55, 56. 
He's 60. 60. But he can't take care of himself. So he lives in a care home with about five other guys, about 20 minutes from my mother-in-law's house. And so we pick them sometimes to stay overnight. And he's really hilarious. He likes to make puzzles and put them together. And uh, sometimes he'll say the funniest things. He doesn't know time. He thinks Miranda and I were there last week. And uh, sometimes he'll ask questions like, are you a man? <laughs> and he's just a funny guy. And one time he was irritating Miranda. And then Miranda made a stern face at him. And he, in a serious face, he said, Miranda, just be happy. <laughs> and serious asking me, just be happy. You ought to see Randall sometime. I, should, I don't know why they make a PowerPoint presentation to show all these things, and you're probably curious what he looks like. But Randall's kind of hunched over, he got gray hair, and just the funny guys can be, he can make up Chris as he goes. He can do the crossword puzzles, and he likes to eat ice cream and chocolate. He can eat until he can't eat anymore. And when we pick him up, he say, oh, we're going to have to eat, Grandma, Mom, Mom. He likes to eat. He's a eating machine. He's a billy goat. <laughs> he just eats and he doesn't know when to stop. But anyway, we had a good time seeing them. All right, that's enough of that. I hope you've all been well. I haven't heard any bad news. In fact, I haven't heard any news. What's going on here? I heard about the government. I heard about the fact tracking of um, low-income housing by the government. The rail opened up. Hey, did you ride the rail? Yeah. <laughs> One. I think multiply that by 10, that's about how many people are riding rail since the freebies. I've heard some stories about people who rode home on the rail westbound at rush hour and the car was nearly empty in one of the cars. So I don't know about that. I mean, I kind of suspected that ridership would be low after the grand opening and all the newness wears off because we like to be in our cars around Hawaii, don't we? You can't do without beating your own cars. That's true. Anyway, so that's the big news. Uh, no hurricane, no tsunami, no nothing came our way. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles then and turn to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. Stand for just a minute as we open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Now, if you ever have a chance to read the book of Hebrews, reading right through at one setting, and notes, just read it and digest it. It's good for you. I always recommend you reading the Bible, whether it be a chapter or a book, a, a long book or a short book. Read it without any notes, any comments. Just read it, and then uh, thoughts will come to your mind, and God will show you things. And have a little pen and a notepad, write down some things. Whatever you do to remember things, do that. And you'd be surprised at how much you get from just reading it and taking your own notes. And really make your own commentary. Over the years, you have all kinds of notes for the same chapter, the same book. And you'll be surprised how much you are learning by just reading it. Don't be afraid of not getting everything. Don't be intimidated by, uh, oh, I won't remember everything. No, just read. You will, you will recall things as you need to. And you won't remember everything, that's for sure. But you find yourself saying, Wow, I didn't see that last year. But how would you know that? Because you wrote down a note about a verse last year, and now this year, wow, I didn't see. it's a good way to read the Bible. And then later on, you have sources to uh, learn about the Bible too. So the main thing is to read it. Read it regularly. Roll, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, look at verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, time passed, unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds 
who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high being made so much better than the angels he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they verse 5 for unto which of the angels in time thou art my son this day have i begotten thee and again i will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and again when he bringeth into god into the world he saith and let all the angels of god worship him and of the angels he said who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire verse 8 but unto the son he said thy throne o god is forever and ever a scepter a righteous scepter of thy kingdom let's pray father i pray that you bless the message today bless your words it is your words it is all true it is all correct it's all right it is perfect and uh, whatever we don't understand is because we don't understand it not to bless your words speak to our hearts and speak to our heads and meet something neat today i pray this in jesus name amen please have a seat now god communicated to man especially to israel the nation of israel in the old testament in a variety of ways he spoke to man in visions in dreams by angels by an audible voice by these methods he spoke to his people in the old testament he also spoke to uh, his people by the use of prophets in the Old Testament uh, to speak to men. And then finally God sent his son to speak to his people and also to the world. He finally sent his son to speak, to communicate to men. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke the words of his father that was given to him. So what he said was God's word to him and he gave it to the people. So you find the right of which which God communicated to mankind through these means. And finally, through the Son of God. After the Son of God, how does God speak to us? What means does He use primarily to speak to you and to me? Does He go back to visions? Does He go back to dreams again from the Old Testament? Does He speak to us through sending an angel to speak to us? You'd be surprised at how many people think that God still speaks to us through these means. In church services or in private, people claim that God spoke to them shoulder by a light that came on in the room. But someone who showed up in person at the corner of the bed. If that happened to me, I'd be scared. I'd probably punch it in first, my first reaction. What are you doing in here? Who are you? I don't But people today claim that they hear from God like that. And sometimes people say Jesus came to them in person. Now, if you ever had an experience like that, you'd be pretty spooked. Or you might say, oh... I'm so special because he came to me in person. God does not speak to us normally like that. He did speak to us like that because he said so. And he progressively spoke to us in different ways. The Son of God came to speak to us, to bring his Father's words to us. And then he, after that, when the Lord went back to heaven, he has spoken to us now primarily through the Bible, the Word of God. The safest way to know what God is saying to you is not by a feeling, by an emotion, by a perception or by a circumstance or by a coincidence. That's not the safest way to know if God communicating to you. It's not by a cloud formation in the sky. It's not by some voice that you think you hear. It's not by some vision or some dream. Dreams are terrible to me. Is this God speaking to me? We dream about things because we've heard something in the day. We saw something in the day in passing and we dream about that. I do anyway. And I'm pretty normal. I think. 
and I dream about stuff that just happened in a flash. And sometimes the dreams are always kind of like twisted and kind of messed up or embellished dreams too. If you're running, you're running slow and you need to run faster, but you can't. Or I'm always failing at something in my dream. I'm, I'm failing to reach something in my dream. But most of the dreams are not the voice of God to me. It's me meditating upon something subconsciously about what happened in this day. Um, we got almost into a wreck leaving from a town going back to Escanaba, pulling out of a little parking lot on uh, the road that goes back to the town. A car put up like that and he didn't pay attention. He or she probably was a sheep. <laughs> oh boy, am I getting it now? But she, it, the thing, whatever they identify as, pulled out and almost hit the car. And I leaned on the horn. Thank God for horns that work. And this is not a Prius horn. This is not a me, me, me. It was just a honk, honk kind of horn. And it really was good because it made the car go away. Uh, you know, those things are, are they God speaking to me? I don't think so. Can I get some from that? But it's not the primary way which God speaks to us. God speaks to us primarily through this Bible. So that's why if you want to know what God is trying to say to you, read your Bible. Pray about things. Read your Bible. And so you see that in the first few verses of this chapter. But then in verse number three, verse number three, he says, actually verse number four, verse four, being made so much better than angels. Now, the Bible is saying Jesus Christ is not just better than the angels, but he says so much better than the angels. Why? Well, because in the verses itself, he upholds verse, uh, verse two, and by him, by him, the son of God, he's the heir of all things. He made the world, verse two, verse number three, the reasons why the son of God is much better that he, he upholds all things by the word of his power. But before that, verse number three, he is the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. So Jesus Christ is the, the best representation, representative of God the Father than anyone else. And he upholds all things by his powerful words. And then in verse number three, he's better than the angels because he by himself purged our sins. Now, you're not going to find him as the redeemer of mankind. No angel can redeem mankind of sins. But the Son of God is so much better than the angels because only he alone could have mankind by dying on the cross and purging us of our sins. And then he says in verse 4, because of these reasons, he is so much better than the angels. But verse 5 tells us there's something else about him being so much better than the angels. Verse number 5 says, for unto which of the angels see it in time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now, there is no other angel that is named and called but what Jesus Christ is called in the Bible. No other angel like that. The angel is called my capital S-O-N. And then look at verse number uh, 6. He is so much better than the angels because of verse number 6. Continuing, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. What angel do you know of is worshipped by other angels? None. But the Son of God is separate from the angels because he is worshipped by the angels in verse number Let's look at another thing as to why he is so much better. Verse 7, And if, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, well, that's what angels do. 
They serve God. They are spiritual beings. And they the bidding of the Father. They do a lot of different things in the Bible. Verse number 8. But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever. Now, he is so much better than the angel because he's not an angel. He's the Son of God. He's called God. Thy throne, O God. No angel is called capital G-O-D. Now, this reminds us that at one time, Jesus Christ supposedly, in eternity, was an angel. Not according to the Bible, but according to the Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints. The Saints have got real aggressive on the media side of things now. They have a comedy channel. They have um, a lot of different things to appeal to the masses of people in a very generic, innocent way, designed to uh, get their get their church out and get get out this opportunity for people to, to find out who these people are. And so the Mormons believe Jesus Christ was once upon a time an angel, uh, and they had a wrestling match he did with Lucifer, uh, the Savior. Well, their theology is pretty much, very much, very much, not pretty much, very much non-biblical. Uh, you don't want to go to the Latter-day Saints or the Mormon church or to the Mormon missionary and get Bible doctrine, Bible truth from them. You don't want to do that. So when they come by on their bicycles in their nice white shirts and ties and little tags, you see people wearing little tags everywhere they go, Walmart especially. And, and guys, they wear their badges over here. They don't pass out tracks, but they have the badge to identify who they are. And so, and then the young men, they ride around the bicycles to go and try to get to talk to people. They'll cut your grass, they'll be nice to you, get an inroads to you, so with you, and convert you to the Mormon religion. But the Mormon religion does not have a right view about Jesus Christ. He was not a former angel in eternity. And of course, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that he was also an angel, a created God. Well, not according to what Hebrews tells us. So what you want to remember is this. In this first portion of Hebrews, it's so much better for these reasons. He is so, not just better, he is more better. That's what the New Testament Greek says, more better. <laughs> he is far above. You see, he's far above. And Jesus Christ then is the focus point. He is so much better. Now, I want to give you three things about Jesus Christ being better than, so much better than. He is so much better than verse number four. Jesus more better, so much better than any religious founder or leader in human history. Now, if you study word religion, you find out there's a lot of founders of religions. Apparently, some way back when, some of them in the 19th century, especially. 19th century was a real breeding ground for religions coming up in America. You have the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and then in the 19th, 20th century, the Baha'i faith, Baha, the prophet, and all that kind of thing. Many other false religions, we call them cults, were, were 15th century. And they're very strong today. Well, Joseph Smith talked about him just like, but he was a polygamist. He was a plagiarist. He borrowed whole chapters from the King James Bible into the Book of Mormon. And he was not a decent man by any accounts of history. Yet he is the man revered and idolized by the Mormon church. And uh, his writings are, his books are what they go by over above the Bible. And uh, he taught a lot of false, the council of the gods, he says. And then the prophets of the Mormon church, the council of the gods. The council? What do you mean the council of the gods? That's saying more than one god? How many gods does the Bible talk about? 
one God. Read the book of Isaiah, chapter 43 and 44. You have about seven references to God being one. I, Lord, thy God, am one. And, and you read all those verses there. It's a strong God the Father, God himself, by his nature, is just one God. Okay? One God. We are a monotheistic faith. Christianity is monotheistic. One God. Not many gods. Polytheist. Mormon's church teaches that there are many gods. Not so. And of course, um, uh, eventually he can become a god too. Did you know that? Let me give you some hope. Become a Mormon and get baptized in the temple and get married and so on. You might have a chance to become a god. You know what? You don't want to become a god. I don't want to become a god. It's too much work involved. You have to be everywhere at the same time. You have to be all-powerful. You have to know everything. You must respond instantly. That those praying in South America, South Africa, South Korea, North Korea, Hawaii, everywhere. You must be able to hear everything one time and process everything instantly, without fail. That's too much work. We'll let God be God. We'll just remain what we are. Saved people, regenerated, children of God, sons of God, but not God. Not possible. It's better than any religious founder in history. John 6, 63. What, what man can say these words? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. What man can say that? Well, only Jesus can say, hey. Now, he never said, hey. <laughs> but too many people say, hey, 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 you. You know what I don't like? Pardon the, the green here, but everywhere we go, uh, Chick-fil-A Chick the exception. They never say, Hey guys, every place they say, hey guys, hey guys, well, first of all, that's kind of wrong, isn't it, to say, hey guy, the non-guy, why can't they say hello, but everything is, hey guys, how you doing guys, are you all from California, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys, and so uh, what, what guy can say, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life, nobody can say that. Nobody can now. The Pope sometimes claims correction. The Pope does claim the Pope of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Father. When he's cathedral, he is speaking as if God is speaking. Did you know that? Did you read that? That when he speaks, he speaks for God. No, no. When I speak, I just speak what God says, but I never claim I'm speaking for God in the sense that my words are God's words, as if God is speaking like that. No. But when Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are speaking in your life, he said, I can give you life by what I say. Well, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. You don't have the power to say, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth. Because life. He has his words of life giving. Uh, what man can do? That's why he is much better, much better. John 14, 9, talking to Philip. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. What, what words are these? If you looked at me, you saw me, you've seen the Father. That's what the Lord says. Philip, what are you asking for me to show you the Father? If you see me, you've seen the Father. Philip says, that's an amazing statement. Only the Son of God can say that. He's so much better than a religious man. John 14, 3. Uh, these are words that you know. John 14, 3. You know John 14, verses 1 through 6. 
It is a short beginning of that great, it's just easy to memorize. You should just try to memorize that. It just flows very naturally, very easily. In my father's house are many men. If it were not so, I would have told you. But wait, there's more. That part is just me. But wait, there's more. What is the more? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you unto myself. Well, what man would dare to say that? What man dares to say that? Nobody. But the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is so much better than any other man. John 6, 35. Jesus, uh, Miranda made some fresh bread yesterday. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. We can't say that. No man can say that. No religion me. And you never hunger again. Not possible. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Not possible. But he can say that because he's much better. In John 10. I am the good shepherd. That giveth his life for his sheep. And certainly no man can say that. No man can give his life for anybody else. Well, for one thing, why? How is that an impossible statement for any man to say except Jesus Christ? Okay, let's think this through. None of us, nobody in history can say, I am the good shepherd that giveth his for his sheep. Why could no man say that? Legitimately. Because he's a sinner too. How can he die for the sins of other people? He can't do that. He can't be our substitute. He can't die vicariously for someone else because he has to atone for his own sins. He can't do that for anybody. If he dies for someone's sins, it's for his own sins. But the Son of God is sinless. Therefore, he can say that because he can't perform what he's saying. That's why he's so much better. And why would you be following somebody else if he's that much better? And then John eleven twenty five, 25. Uh, this one's really good. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he asked to that. He says, because I live, you shall live also. And that's a good thought to remember. Now, close to Christ, no. Can any man dare say some of these things? Can any man claim? No. That'd be foolish. Well, he is so much better. Now, better than any religious founder. Can salvation be found in any man? If you follow some man, can you, be, can you say, I have salvation because I follow this, this man? No, cannot. Number two, Jesus is not only better than any religious founder, he is better than anything that is of earthly value. He's better than anything of earthly value, which covers a lot of territory. What is of earthly value in this world? A lot of things. It's not wrong. A lot of things are not wrong to have. A lot of things to have in this world is not wrong at all. So right away, let me just say, to be fair and honest, balanced like Fox News used to say or still says, which is really not the truth for them anymore, but to say, to make a fair and I will tell you that there's a lot of things in this world that is of value, and it's not wrong. But let me try to explain this. When I say Jesus Christ is better than any thing of say what Hebrews says. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. 
Begin in chapter 1. Now come to chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I've been reading some verses. Now it's time for you to read some verses. Hebrews chapter 11. And begin at verse number 23. Hebrews 11, verse number 23. There's several names mentioned before this. You have Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph. And now verse 23. Hebrews 11, 23. This man, you know him pretty well. Moses. Verse 23. Let me explain to you, let the scriptures explain to you about Jesus is better than anything of earthly value. First, by faith, Moses, Moses, when he was born of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not of his commandment. This is a case of breaking the law. You ever hear, well, the law is the law, obey the law no matter what. Sometimes you break the law because you obey God in by faith, Moses, the law was kill all baby boys. Well, Moses is a baby boy. That's what he identified as. His parents were definitely as a boy. He was a boy. He's a male. And Pharaoh said, kill all the males. But his parents said, no. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Watch verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God then to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why? Why did he choose to not live as Pharaoh's son? Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than in Egypt for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now, here's what you learn from these verses. Moses raised lived in the palace of the Pharaoh, Egyptian, a, quote, good education, setting him up for success, setting him up to be the next Pharaoh, perhaps, setting him up, all the ways of Egypt, the ways of the world, and he grows up, and he's what he can have as an Egyptian prince. You know what he did instead? He turned aside from that. He forfeited all of that. Because it says in verse number 26, he instead to suffer the people of God because he knew, verse 26, there is a reward for him by following the Lord. That is an example of somebody who said, no, Jesus is better than what this world has to offer. Now, we just flew through lost on the way and on the way back, I have to stop again. Never again. I'm going to do that. I have no money left. <laughs> You know, I'm just kidding, right? Some of you look at me like, what? <laughs> you know what you find as soon as you walk in there? Slot machines. All over the place. You see people sitting there. They just got the plane. Can't wait to get to the strip. They're going to be able to pull that one arm bandit down. Coming back again, same thing. All this new lights is fun. Glamour, wealth, fame. Come on, come on, come on. Try this, try this. It just yells at you. We walk into that place. I say, wow, what a place. What a... We didn't even go anywhere. We just went to... And then, you know, in and out kind of thing. But I can imagine what, 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 what Joseph experienced in Egypt. Had it, been to, had it been to Las Vegas, Nevada, he would have said, wow, what a place. Probably, if you folk have been there before, uh, you know what it's like to go to the buffet. They said the buffet is really great down in Las Vegas. Ah, perhaps, I don't know. 
That's over there. Yeah, I, I sure. Whatever is done in Vegas stays in Vegas. Whatever that means, I don't know what that means. I'm not going to go there. But it is a representation of the world. And Joseph was raised on a bigger scale. Everything was going to be given to him. He'd have the scepter representing the power of the Pharaoh. It's just a matter of time. Of, uh, of Moses saw everything. He saw people experiencing, but he didn't want that. He chose instead something better. That's what the Bible is telling you. So he's better than anything of earthly value. Mark 8, 34 says, And when he had called the people with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. You know what the world does? Like Vegas again. You know what Vegas is telling you? When you come to Vegas, deny yourself. Indulge, indulge, indulge. When you come to Vegas, spend, spend, spend. Do it now. I mean, after all, this might be your only trip. And they give you all kinds. And so the idea is that you want to gratify yourself now. Well, Pharaoh, uh, Moses, Moses thought otherwise. Because to him, Jesus was of much greater value than in his world. Now, what would you say is the main status symbol of the celebrities of the world and the rich are rich in this world? What will be their main status symbol? What shows to what shows to people who don't even know you personally, but they know about you? What what do you reflect portray to them that I am important? What is it about? What is it that um, you would have to say you are you are it? I'll give you a clue: the car you drive. The car you drive to people symbol. I mean, you can't be content with a Honda. You got to have real high-end car, right? It's the car that you drive, the car that you own. And the rich and ultra-rich would be the house in which you live. A mansion is what they're called in California and in New York. More in California. A mansion. And another thing that's a status symbol to show that you are important is something else that you ride on besides your car huh yacht owning a yacht do you know that some yachts are worth I I, uh, I can't imagine this I thought a $800,000 yacht was too much now that's nothing I thought a $3 million yacht was excessive, but that's nothing now. There are people in this world that have yachts worth a billion dollars. Can you imagine that? A floating mansion. You say, why are you talking like that? Are you jealous? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a status symbol. It's to say, now maybe they are in their world as a celebrity, uh, the super rich, the celebrity. Uh, I, I saw a guy had a watch, $800,000, a Rolex. That was not the most high-end watch, too. Roger Federer, who is a retired professional tennis player, great player, really, and in many ways a very decent guy, otherwise, but uh, he, he advertised for Rolex. He walks around his snappy suits and all, and has his cuffs short enough to show his watch when he does this. It's advertising. 
It's just advertising the watch, just wearing a watch. He's got several of them. Well, that's a status symbol. I have a several years ago when I was living in Hawaii. It cost probably $40. That's a lot of money back then. I don't need a Rolex, but some people need a Rolex. Some people need the high end, the high end, the high end. Now, seriously, I'm not bad. There's nothing wrong. If they worked to earn that, if they were wise with the money, okay, fine, good for you. May I, may I be as smart as you so I can do the same thing? But for them, for some people, that is their life. That is their life. That is their existence. That is their esteem. If they have this, they are, they sleep well. If they don't have it, art. Is your life so shallow that you must have these things to be happy? Is your life so empty that you must have these things to feel important? And the clothes you wear, clothes you wear, that speaks a lot about uh, your value system, the clothes you wear. Some of these ultra rich people, oh man, you gotta, now swap me stuff, the fake stuff, the knockoff stuff, okay? That's what they have. I don't even know what the fancy stuff is, but the Armani or the Suparni or the Giraffe or whatever it's called, uh, the Ralph Lauren, the Polo, the high authentic thing. You gotta have that because this is your self-esteem. This is your value system. You know Jesus Christ did not dress in any any um, high-end clothing like the, the TV tell you? Do you know that he had no pistol said he said that? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know what I'm saying? That is saying, I don't really care to have all these excessive things. I just need a place to sleep. I don't mind if I sleep under the stars with a rock from a pillow. He was content with being here on God's business. And the Christian should be careful with the world and say, I gotta have the Vegas lifestyle. You'd be very disappointed if you try to go for that. These are just things, things are necessary to have, but you can't let things become your happiness. A car that runs, have a good car that works, have a house that doesn't leak when it rains, take care of things, you know, uh, wear decent clothes, don't have to be, you know, wearing a Fred Flintstone outfits like that. But uh, the thing is, the thing is, uh, there's something more important than just having stuff. And Jesus Christ is more important or more valuable than earthly things that are of great value to this world. Now, it says here in the book of 2 Timothy, and I want to make a statement here because you might think, well, are you saying that it's wrong to have things? I, I've said uh, several times, I hope clearly that it's wrong to have things. But are you saying, Pastor, that it's wrong to want more things? I will not leave a wrong impression to say that it's not wrong, that it's wrong for you to want more better things. Now, if I tell the truth, if I make enough money to buy a different car, I might just do that because I want a reliable car and my car is 2011, which is not a problem. It, it works fine. I'm going to run that thing until they can't run no more, until the old man gives up the ghost. But I don't need to get anything more fancy. I don't need anything more fancy. So the needs dictate what you're going after. But I'm not going to go broke to get something I don't need. Why do that? I share purpose and so are you, and we have a greater value system than the world has. Come from people say, oh, what a nice car you're driving. Oh, look at that, oh, look at that car, what a nice car. My happiness does not come from compliments like that. It's vanity, it means nothing. I'm not gonna pay $500 a month for a car payment to have them say, oh, nice car. That's an expensive compliment, that's what I'm saying. I'm not gonna buy a tennis rack that costs me $300 and I get one from Walmart. It's not necessary, I'm not that good. It's not going to make me that much better. 
If I were to golf, I'm not gonna buy a golf club that cost me $2,000 to hit the ball 10 yards farther. But people do that. Their value system. If I had that kind of money, and if I, if I felt like Moses, I would swap that temporary first thing for something else with that extra money. Really, really. You and I should think that Jesus Christ is better, anything of earthly value, and let it be reflected by how we give and how we live, instead of just trying to hoard, hoard, hoard for ourselves. So I'm trying to say that this is not a mandate to be poor. This is not a statement to say, live off the streets. This is not what this is about. I mean, if you can earn extra, earn extra. If you can do more, do more. This is not being a malcontent. So don't get that impression. While I say that, don't become obsessed with making money for the sake of making money and cutting God out of your life. That'd be a problem. And so Jesus Christ did not have a boat, have a boat of his own to preach from, to go to someone else's boat. And um, so it's not a sin to have. But I do need a private jet. I'll tell you that. I do need a private jet. It's not a sin to have things. So we take up an offering next week from our private jet because I need it. The sin is hoarding things. The sin is the sin is keeping everything for yourself. It's all mine. It's all mine. It's all mine. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I'm so tired." People sometimes say, "I got no." Sometimes it's just because of the way things are. Sometimes it's by choice that people have no time. People have no strength, no energy left because we're so busy doing something we think is a great value. Now keep in mind, I'm not telling, the Bible's not telling you, don't become a better student, don't become a better employee, don't become a better, don't try to earn. That's not what I am saying. That's not what the Bible is saying. The base of this is, don't want Vegas as a life. Jesus Christ is my Lord. It's greater value to me that I put my values, my priorities on Jesus Christ. Life is better that way. I'm greedy, you're not going to become selfish, you're not going to hoard things. You're going to wish God, I wish I could earn more so I could do something with what I have in excess. I can share I can do this. I, you know, all these kind of things. It's such a good feeling to know that you have a little extra that's not for bills, routine bills, to help someone or help, you know. It's really good to have that availability. And if God gave your brain to be creative and to give you the skill to pick up things and... Um, I don't mean stealing, but if you had if you had the skills and the wisdom to, to to do certain things that you never thought you could do before, but you can't, and now your 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 income power has been increased twenty percent, go for it. Go for it. If you're not going to be hoarding and become selfish with it, that's the thing that is a concern. Of greater value than anything of earthly value. Now number three, number three, I need to. Get Number three, Jesus is much better than religion. Jesus is much better than religion. Now, I would say this. Number one, religion is better than no religion. Only because, now you need to listen a little bit. Religion is better than no religion because most religions have some more them. Most religions have some moral value. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. See, like have some decency and some character 
strengthening tenets about them. Most religions do. Now, but there's something better than just having a religion. Isn't there something better than that? Now, let me also add to that one. It's good to go to church. It's better than not going to church. But there's something better than just going to church. There's something better than just having a religion. It's having the right religion. It's going to the... See, going to church is good. Having religion is good. But there's something better than that. It's going to the right kind of church, the right kind of religion. Now, I could not become uh, a Muslim because of what they teach. Now, sorry to tell you this, but if you read and you understand, you cannot become one with good conscience. You cannot convert from Christianity to Islam. You cannot do that. But you can. There's good reasons to do that. Or from Buddhism, from Catholicism, uh, from many others to real Bible Christianity. That's much better. There is something better than just having religion. The much better thing is having Jesus Christ as your Savior. Instead of just having religion, not through Christ. That's much better. Something better than just religion is being saved. You, you may know that at the end of June, this submarine, 21 foot submarine that went down to view the Titanic. You know, there was an implosion. You know that, don't you? That was a tragedy. Five people on board, quote, suffered a catastrophic implosion. You know what that means? Implosion from the inside. That's a tragedy. Five souls that. Now, I do wonder what they were thinking as each person faced eternity. Don't you think about things like this when something happens? They're down in the darkness of the ocean and they can't get back up they can't communicate five souls together in a 21 foot long submarine tragedy took place what were they thinking maybe someone was praying to Mary maybe someone was saying oh I hope I've done enough good in my lifetime so that I'll have a chance to go with God if there is a God who knows what they were thinking did someone call for a priest did someone say, oh, God, help? I don't know. We don't know. We'll never know. But when you face death like that, in that kind of a scenario, you'd be terrified. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of this. Going into the pyramid... Went on that long shaft, three feet wide, four foot high, going down a hundred yards with a flashlight. You know what I'm afraid of? My batteries go out. <laughs> and I'm stuck there. And I've grown up with movies all my life, and I've seen walls closing in, you know, because of this, and you're getting crushed to death afraid of. Going down into that thing, and that thing closed up, your light goes out, you're panicking, you're scared to death. You know where you came from, semi-fairy this way, but it's a terrifying sensation. Now, if you were a Christian in that submarine as one of the five, likely you'd be scared too. And you know why you'd be scared? Because the unexpected, like Job says, the thing that I greatly feared is come upon me. And now that the possibility is a reality, anything can happen. 
It's going to happen. Even as a Christian, you'd be scared. And here's why. Because you realize your life is about to be over. If you're 25 or 85 or 45, you'd be thinking a lot of things in your head instantly. Right away. A lot of regrets. A lot of, oh, I wish I'd done, hadn't done. A lot of things like that be going on in your mind. But even as a Christian, you'd be afraid. And I will, say, I will tell you this. It'll be all right because it's a terrifying scenario. But one thing that will relieve you of your fear, and only one thing will relieve you of your fear in that scenario, something better than a religion. Something better than some cold, mechanic, dead religion. A living, real relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing that will give you some peace. Amen. Now I want you to come to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 14. Up with this verse or two. John 14, verse 27. You're in that 21 foot submarine. It's a tragedy. It's unfortunate. Your life's about to be over. It's terrifying. John 14, 27. The disciples were facing the Lord, leaving them. He's talking with them in the upper room. The final time are afraid of what will happen. And he says, John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. In that submarine scenario, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He just said, I give you peace. Not as the world can give you peace. My peace is far better Superior than the peace that the world can give to you is because I've given you eternal life. I give you my peace. I give you my peace. I give. Therefore, don't be afraid. So you would catch yourself from panicking. You'd calm down because you realize, okay, what do I have in Christ? What do I have in... Now look up here, please. What do I have in Christ that takes away my fear? According to John 10, 28, I have been given this thing called eternal life. John 10, 28. And when you capture your thoughts and you, you calm down, you realize, who am I? I'm saved. I have a relationship with God through Christ. I don't have a cold, dead mechanical religion. I have salvation in Christ. I'm saved. What does that mean? I have something he gave to me. Eternal life. Okay, I'm going to die. What's going to die? My physical life will end. My heart's going to stop. I'm going to die. I'm going to be fed through the ship to this submarine. But I'm going to be with Christ. So absent from the body and present with the Lord. And once you realize that, it helps you to have peace. To know you're not just dying, you're stepping into eternity into the presence of Christ and you it's because there's something better Jesus Christ is better than religion so much better far better and you have it now let me read a verse to you Hebrews 10 34 says this you have had compassion on me and my bond and took joyfully the swelling of your goods knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven you have in heaven a, 
uh, better and an enduring substance. Connect to John 10, 28, because it tells me I have in heaven. He says, ye have in heaven. You have heaven in heaven. You're going to go to heaven. You have in a place called heaven a better and a more enduring substance. You mean something better than Las Vegas? The glittering lights alone? Yes, something better than that. Those bulbs are going to burn out. They're going to have park one of these days. But you have a better enduring substance in heaven. Better. The word better is all over the book of Hebrews. Better, better, more better, more better. And so much better than religion. Because you have a relationship with them. You have eternal life. can never be taken from you. In that submarine or any other scenario. You might be scared. But after you realize what's going to happen to you based on the Bible, you can say, all right, this is okay. And he is better than what's about to happen. God has provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Hebrews better thing for us. So I say that from Hebrews chapter 1, he is much better than the angels. Uh, he's much better than a lot of things, isn't he? He's a lot better. Now, if you have Christ as your Savior, I don't want to say this wrong, but I'll write on the board. Okay, now take this in this context. If you know Christ is your Savior, you've got it made. I hope you understand the, 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 the context of this. There's a lot of things we still got to work on. But as far as eternity is concerned, you've got it made. You got it made. Much better. Now the challenge to you is that there's more for you to grow. There's more for you to mature in. There's more for you than just being saved. Being saved is the beginning. There's much more for you to grow into. Each of you, there's much more for you to to work on much more there's some things about you and about me that we don't want to touch we're going to work on some things and there's much more ahead for us as we obey what the bible says as you follow christ there's more ahead for you and for me i could not know we could not know what was in store for us when we first married 400 years ago we could not know. We weren't able to bear everything. But there was something else for us. Something else for you too. There's something else for your kids than what your kids are right now. Your kids could be horrible brats right now. Did I say that? <laughs> your kids could be very difficult right now. Here's some encouragement. All kids are difficult at some point in their life right now. All kids. All kids. All kids, only one exception, but all kids give their parents trouble at some point as they're growing up. All kids, you know who that one was. So all kids, there's something better for them as they're growing up. You just stick to training them right, and it'll it, you you see the fruit of that eventually. And for you who are saved, you just you just saved. There's more than just being saved. There's more than just being saved. There's something better for you than just being saved. That's another message I'd like to preach to you about. Something better. There's more. There's more. So today was just a beginning of a message that I hope to give to you.
throughout the month of August to, to try to get you to become more better. More better. We haven't stopped trying to become more better. You should not think, okay, there's nothing else for me to grow in. No, 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 no. What do you mean? There's something more better for you. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray to help us to, in our minds, think that we have room to grow. That there are some things that we can work on. Personal things, primarily. Things that will need to be addressed in our lives. So bless your word as it is going out and as it is being taught, preached in the next few days. I pray to help us to be open to your leading and to your um, help us, Lord, to remember that it is so much better being saved, Lord, than to be pulled around by a ring on our nose and a hook by the devil and by this world. We are being saved. We are so much better off being better off, so much better off trying to walk with you than trying to please the world. Help us, Father, to believe that and then practice it. Bless your people and all that they have to do and go through this week. Help them, Lord, where they need help. And uh, show yourself able to take care of all of them as we have experienced and we've all different times.